everybody. It's then again with Ken und und Glenn. Ken und Glenn. And the reason we're we're doing some facsimile of German is because uh, what we're talking about, since it's the cold weather time of year, we're going to talk about one of the coldest places you could possibly ever be, and really, really not want to be there because people are trying to murder you constantly. The Eastern Front. The Eastern Front of World War II. Yes. And let me jump right in and say. We usually call it here in the United States the Eastern Front because we've been... Geographic reality. Geographic reality, and we've been pressured by our former German enemies, now our allies, to see it that way. But of course, if you are the former Soviet Union that fought against Germany in World War II... If you are a Frontovic or a Rodina... It is not your Eastern Front. It is is the Western Front. It's the front. It's the front. (laughs) And as a matter of fact... The Soviets did not even call it World War II, God bless them. They called oh. it the Great Patriotic War, oh. and it was all against Germany. Yeah, and I love the fact that they call it the Great Patriotic War, too, because they're not rallying around communism. They're not they, rallying the, around the, Stalin. No. It's Mother well, Russia. And that's the problem is of early on when the, when the fighting did start with Germany, that's what the Communist Party in power tried oh, yeah. to do. Tried, right. tried to make right. it a, about communism and a struggle between economic systems. And, they were and, like, and no one cares. No. But when they, when they shifted it in late 42, early 43 to the motherland, everyone got behind that. Because you, you know, we, we talk a lot. Actually, we do talk a lot about the land in these podcasts. We talk about connection with the land and the love of land, and, and we talk about farmers a lot because we both wish the Jeffersonian ideal had happened, not the Hamiltonian nightmare we find ourselves living in. Don't go see Hamilton. Anyway, uh, you can if you want to. Anyway, but you, you want to put the Russian peasant or the Russian basic farmer's love of the land up against anybody else's in the world? You're not going to find anybody who's more connected. When when they say Mother Russia, even in casual conversation, it is a sense of reverence and, and harnessing. Let's harness this love it, of Mother Russia. Not, yeah. Not the Politburo. Right, or the state. Or Had they not Stalin. done that, arguably the people wouldn't, wouldn't have rallied. There was nothing to rally to. No. What, are you going to rally to the system that has turn their life upside down exactly. and oppress them for the last you are two decades. Rally to Mother Russia. And they did. They, and did. they did. And you know, let's back up a little bit. You know, a disastrous start to this conflict between Germany and Russia for Russia. For those of you that, that, that follow history and the shape of world events, uh, there'd been this wonderful, wonderful peace treaty. A, a non-aggression treaty, the the big capstone of uh, of von Ribbentrop and Molotov. Yes, the man who gave his name to a cocktail that you don't want to drink. No. <laughs> you know, it secures that Russian-German border so Hitler can go do what he wants to do in the West, which he does. And, you know, for all the ruthlessness and cunning and political brilliance of Stalin, he believed this treaty was going to last. He he missed this one. He totally. What? They're attacking, but we have a treaty. Are you familiar with Hitler, Stalin? (laughs) He usually keeps his promises. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's so he's to so slaughter dependent. everyone. Exactly. So when in June of 41, 1941, the the German forces surge across the board. I mean, it's it's blitzkrieg writ large. Just you know, the largest tank movements, the largest troop movements, the largest broad front advance. And at first, you know, I think it's uh, B. H. Littlehart, the the classic tank scholar, says that at first space spelt the Wehrmacht success, and then it's doom. Because there's simply... There's so much. You're conquering space that means nothing because... You haven't knocked And you have to out. cover it, and you have to supply you have, yourself. You have it. to. You can't just— and, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this, again, to, to, you know, to skip to the end a little bit here, 
the losses by both Germany and the Soviet Union on the oh, Russo-German uh, front are vast and drastic. Estimates like are almost Russia, a, like they a, are vast. Vast. Best estimates are that the Soviets lost twenty to thirty million people in this war. And that's, dead. Civi- that's, that's dead. And that's civilians and military. That's civilians and military. But like you said, that's dead. That's, that's dead. not just wounded. Right. That's just or dead. Displaced. That's dead. And, and at least half of those are civilian casualties. Oh, now, some of those happened for a lot of different reasons. Right. Uh, some of them were, were German occupation forces trying to slaughter them. Some of those uh, turned out to be victims of the Holocaust. Some of those, the Soviets simply couldn't feed themselves as they were trying to evacuate. But that's a lot of dead people. And the Soviet people realized this. They were not able to get back to their pre-war population. So 1939, Soviet Union population. Yeah goes down so drastically in World War II that it doesn't get back to its 1940 level until the early 70s. Jeez. Because even when the war is over, there aren't enough men to marry women right. to make babies right. at, a, at, a, at a prodigious rate. Right. So the Soviet people suffer vastly, but Germany wants this. They want the Lebensraum, and Germany's main focus of the war— is the Soviet Union. Right. And not to detract anything from the Brits and the Americans and all the allies Absolutely, that fought on the Absolutely, but y'all were kind of a sideshow as far as geopolitical aims of the Third Reich. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 pretty well documented that, that first off, they certainly didn't expect France to fall and surrender. Germany didn't. They didn't. Not that quick. Not that quick. They, they expected to be able to, you know, dictate some terms and come to an armistice of some sort. They certainly didn't think Britain was going to stay in the war as long as they did. They certainly didn't want to conquer Britain. Right. That's, that's they just the wanted Britain to stay out yeah, of it. But they really, they just wanted keep you folks at bay so we can get to the real enemy, the Bolshevik. Right. The, well, and not even the real enemy, the Bolshevik. They wanted to conquer the East. Well, yeah. It but was, to do that, you've got to get rid of the Bolsheviks. Right. But, but it, it's interesting. It's the but, yeah. same thing in, you know, it's the same thing in World War One. The goal is always to take out the East, yeah. even before the Bolsheviks. For Germany, it's always been right. the East, and when World War II comes, it's always it's it's the East. They're Bolsheviks, right. so they're super bad. And going back but, further, Napoleon tries to take them out. Then, in, then yeah. in the Crimean War in the 1850s, the, the the West unites against Russia. So you know, and they're but, able to force the Soviets to, to surrender, but right. it is by no means right. a massive defeat. For, right, right. For but but it's, but what I'm getting at is there's this history of of. The West moving east, the West moving right. east, the West moving east, and it's, it's generally about territory and controlling it and living right. in it. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. The, so the Soviets suffered greatly. It is Germany's main effort in the war, but the conditions. I think I think this is what we're this is what you and I are really trying to get to. Right, right. Uh, we're trying to set this up so that we can talk about some of the conditions on this front because right. they're absolutely horrific in terms of Soviet loss. And remember that the Germans don't have comparatively very much manpower they're not able right. when, when a unit goes to the to, to the their eastern front it stays there for a long time and they're trying to rotate the units in and out as they get worn right. out and they need rest but most of the german army's time is spent on the eastern front and when a soldier goes to the eastern front things are probably not going to go very well right and the germans succeed in their attack and they advance and they advance and they advance until they get to the classic battle of stalingrad right. And from that point on, German advances turn into German retreats. Now, the right. Germans are great at defense. Excellent strategic retreats, excellent hedgehog falling back, falling back, making you pay. As a matter of fact, they're, initi- they're inflicting like a five or six to one casualty ratio as they retreat. Right. But you're still retreating. 
and they and the Soviets have one thing in surplus, and that is people. Yep. And they just and there's only one way to translate that into a battlefield advantage, and that's to keep feeding them in. Yep. And and the Soviets they see what's going on. Right. And but but when and Stalingrad is a totally separate podcast. Let's save that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. But, but once exactly. that turning point is reached, and the Soviets then go on the offensive more or less for the rest of the war, the Germans start to realize that they're going to lose. Yeah. The Allies and their massive material ability in their back and the bombing campaigns from England, right. and then D-Day happens, they realize things are going bad. But, this, but the conditions, the Soviets aren't really prepared for the cold, but they figure it out quicker than the Germans. Right. But it, they, it, they are, after all, at home. They are at home. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they learned that lesson the hard way when they tried to invade Finland. Um, <laughs> yes. And then they said, oh, we should make sure we have plenty of warm things. Right. But you know, and there, this is this is a documented thing. Here's an example of how awful and how cold it was on this front in the middle of winter. This is an account by a Soviet soldier that it's so cold they're having to dig in, right? They're digging into a snowbank and then they're trying to get into frozen ground. And one of the guys, when he's digging, gets through the snow and gets to the ground and realizes it's soft. There's a little bit of a smell, but it's soft. And you realize what he's just done is began to dug his foxhole mm-hmm. where a German large latrine area was, right? Right. Ooh, gross. Move your foxhole to another place. No. no. <laughs> he actually says, comrades, check this out. They dig further into the latrine, and because of all the gases and things like that, it's actually warm. <laughs> it's actually it's warm, methane okay? and such. <laughs> and, it's, and it's biologic material. They actually take turns crawling down into this so that they can warm back up. (laughs) I want you people to think about how cold you have to be to do that. Right. That's cold. you're, you're, You're crawling into your enemy's feces to warm up. That's And you're glad to and do you're, it. And you're thankful <laughs> to do it. Oh, my gosh. that's And, it, you know, I want to segue from there because that is a very extreme environment. Yes. That that, but that sort of is a nice segue into the extremity of different types of environment this Eastern Front is. Because depending on when and where it is during the war and along that massive thousands-mile-long line, you could be reverting back to World War One trench warfare-style war- warfare. Mm-hmm. You could be engaged in rapid-moving blitzkrieg warfare. You could be marching columns of infantry. You could be house-to-house street fighting, sewer fighting, cellar fighting like in Stalingrad. Right. I mean, any type of combat you could imagine that you've seen in the past 50 years, they're experiencing on this one front. Right. Simultaneously, because it's all, you know, happening at the same time along this vast front. Yeah. So the experiences that they're that they're going through are bewildering. And, it, you know, I think <laughs> the only thing they don't have is a tropical island thrown into the mix, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Other than that, if, it, if there's a type of environment to have fought in, it happened on the eastern front. It happened on that front. And you know, and, and we keep saying the front, and this is one of the things that, that you have to think about that Germany had to take care of. So when they begin to drive, imagine the Soviet Union sort of as a as a triangle laying on its side. So when you go into the Soviet Union from west to east, mm-hmm. then your front is say two hundred miles long at the front at the front. Right. The further you move in, that <laughs> triangle widens. So suddenly your two hundred mile front becomes 
400 mile front right. becomes a 600 mile front becomes 900 miles mm-hmm. long becomes a thousand miles long and you're still having to bring your supplies up through railroad tracks that don't match your rail cars right through swamps and that eventually stop and because stop. they don't have a developed rail system like the west does and so and, and the the liddell hart quote you know yeah. the, the space, space it's vast the soviet union union is vast right and and that defeats the germans as much as this actual soviet army exactly and this whole eastern front this whole germany turning on russia or the soviet union has pretty big geopolitical implications for after the war and it also has a lot to do with what we talked about that came before the war there is this history of every 50 years or so someone marches into russia to try to take whatever or you know and during, as you pointed out, during that first year or so of the war, you know, a lot of the people that the Germans were encountering as they rolled into the Soviet Union were going, oh, thank God you're here to liberate us. Yes. So, you know, a lot of the— Especially the Ukraine. Especially Ukraine, Belarus, you know, uh, all those places. So what this does, we're kind of, I'm kind of steering us in towards post-war. After this horrific struggle, this titanic struggle, you know, on the eastern slash western front, depending on your point of view, is done, and, and we're starting to wind the war down, and we're going into the post-war years— the famous Iron Curtain that comes down. The, the, there's these former free small republics on those that borderland between Germany and, and Russia. Old Uncle Joe, Stalin goes, we're going to occupy those. Th- these are now going to be occupied. And, you know, there's this big hullabaloo of, ah, oh, how these satellite states are just people yearning to be free and they're under the heel of the Russians, or the Soviet system. To, well, it's not like... I'm just saying, from 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 the Soviet Union's leadership point of view, well, you know, about every 50 years, y'all invade us. We're going to put a buffer this time right. because we can dictate from a position of power because we we crushed Germany and we pushed them out. We're gonna we're gonna stay to where we pushed to. You kind of can't blame them from you, that you perspective. You kind of can't. And and heck, even as recently as. 1918 through 1922, there were Western forces in the Soviet Union. Right. So it's, there's a very good reason for them to want to have those buffer states. And, you know, this, of course, sets up the, the Cold War. The Cold War, exactly, which is going to be seven or eight more podcasts because <laughs> we can talk a lot about the But But this, this titanic struggle, this Eastern Front, you, you just, of course, we will absolutely never disparage the commitment and the sacrifice of those in the West. But when you want to start talking about where the larger conflict was won and lost, you, you, you have to start with Eastern Front. You just have to. And, and that's the unfortunate thing is that even, you know, when I teach my, even my college level classes, the students come in and there was, here, here is World War II in, in a high school coverage. Sure. Nazis rise to power. They are bad. Japan bombs us Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Anne Frank wrote a diary. We invaded on D-Day. There may have been some bombers that bombed Berlin. War over, we win. <laughs> Asterisk, asterisk atomic bomb. Oh, yes. Asterisk, yes. Also atomic bomb, which yeah, somehow was bad. And, that, and that's it. And See our last podcast for that. Exactly. But, as a matter of fact. But they, but most American broad treatments for, right. for our educational system do not even mention this front. And it was it was central. It was, I'm sorry. It was, it was central. It was. The, 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 uh, the American naval war in the Pacific, the Allied aerial war. In the West, yeah, and the ground war between the Soviet Union and Germany; those, those are, are the three things. Yep, 
That's yep. the three central issues. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to argue with us, call in. Oh, wait, we're out of time. Oh, my goodness. Do- well, what I was going to say is that all of this also shows, I think, illustrates shifting alliances, shifting allies as well. Because, you know, uh, Russia's an ally in World War One. It's a it's a proto enemy. And as World War II starts, but then it's an ally again as the Soviet Union, then it's an, an antagonist in the Cold War, then it's a friend again in, right after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of communism, and now we don't know no. what they are. But, but also Japan, big enemy, now ally, and all this points out to, it's going to bring it down, I'm going to bring it back to America, George Washington in his farewell address, avoid entangling alliances, because do they ever really work long term and and then just going to really and I'm, George would be d- tap dancing in his in his tomb in Mount Vernon that I'm doing this I'm making the connection between his words and the treaty between Germany and Russia that was an entangling alliance that blinded one side to the reality of the other counterpoint in the <laughs> I'm surprised we're keeping going with this he's awesome. right yeah. but you know what we've been able to accomplish with our entangling alliances Buffer states. Buffer states. Exactly. We don't have people invade us because they go into Germany or Japan or Turkey or France or Saudi Arabia. So, so you know, point point of point of order is Soviet Union's right in making the buffer states. Just make it a different way. We got them. We got (laughs) them. Then again with Ken and Glenn. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.